how you were singing my favorite versions of those songs that have more than one version. Appreciate so much your prayer, brother. And uh, I like it when they're not ready for you to leave and want you to stay. That's always a good sign. Now, I, I guess I'm not going to ask everybody to weigh in on that. Ricky's ready for me to go home because I'm trying to steal his sucker and he's not wanting to share. I told him I was going to change my sermon tonight, talk about sharing a little bit. It's great to see all of you tonight. So we continue to talk about walking daily humbly with King. And we're going to start tonight with a familiar verse. Tomorrow night, we're going to conclude with some words about our hope, the living hope that we have. But we're going to begin tonight with this familiar text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts. Good morals. There are several times in the New Testament that you'll find the words, do not be deceived. Every time you see those words, what follows is usually something that folks are deceived about. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Galatians chapter 6. Verses 7 and 8, preceded by the words, do not be deceived. There are people deceived about the sowing and reaping principle. They think they can do, as Hosea said earlier, sow to the wind and not reap the whirlwind. Or that they can sow to the flesh and not reap corruption. And Paul says, don't be deceived about that. And so many are. You must sow to the Spirit to reap of the Spirit everlasting life. Here's another text where Paul says, do not be deceived. And so you're thinking, well, I'm not a young person. Well, maybe we still see ourselves as young people. I mean, I'm in my late 50s, but I like to see myself as that little boy who grew up in southern Indiana, who loved to play baseball, and whose hero was Pete Rose. He's now in his 70s. Okay, so I'm a little bit older than I was then, but I, I feel like I'm still that young fella in Indiana, but we're not young people. And so this is a verse for young people, right? And, and in fact, whenever there's young people in the audience, they, they brace themselves whenever the preacher says 1 Corinthians 15, 33. The, the, he's he's going to let us have it. He's going to talk to us about our friends and evil influences, and certainly that's what this text is about, but I'm here to tell you one important thing. This is not a young people's verse exclusively. If you look at this contextually, this is in every person's verse. There is relevance in this verse to every single person. And so regardless of your age, there could be potentially the influence of others that affects your course. And so I have this picture of a diverging 
track because so often there can be influences that lead to deviation. We get off the right course onto a wrong course, and of course that's where the devil wants us. There are influences that lead to moral deviation, and that's why we're always emphasizing passages like Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, so we'll stay on the right track, keep your heart with all vigilance. I think the New American Standard says diligence, either one, both, watchfulness, effort, hard work. Keep your heart with all watchfulness and with all effort, for from it flows the springs of life. We were talking about that last night. This is simply reemphasizing looking at our hearts and where they are. And so, what is pulling you? That's what the bad company does. It pulls you in a direction that Satan, rather than God, wants you to go. Here is the warning. At the end of 1 John, John cautions. Sometimes I preach 1 John. And the theme of that particular message in gospel meetings. Didn't get to it this week. But in 1 John 5 and verse 19, when he comes to the end of that message, he says, now here's who we are. Much like the Hebrew writer says, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39. He goes, Yes, there are some very real challenges. The Hebrew writer is writing to people who are encountering spiritual struggle. He warns them about becoming sluggish or having an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And yet he comes to chapter 10 and says, you got off to a great start. Now I want you to maintain the course. And then he goes into that long discussion about the heroes of faith in chapter 11. And so he says, that's not who we are. We are not those who shrink back to destruction. We are those who have faith in the preserving of the soul. John does something similar at the end of his first epistle when he says, now we are of God. God dictates our course. We are his people. We are set for his purposes. But know this, the whole world lies in the sway of the evil one, of the wicked one. The ruler of this world, Jesus labeled his adversary and yours. He has dominion here. This is a sphere where he exercises much control. And if you think about Jesus' talk of the straight gate or the narrow way versus the wide gate and the broad way in Matthew chapter 7 in his Sermon on the Mount, you understand that the devil has inroads to people's hearts. Most of the people of our world are under his control because there are only few that are walking the narrow way and there is a majority that walk the broad way. Sometimes it is hard for us to wrap our minds around that truth. I'm like you. I wish it wasn't that way. 
I wish I could say that a majority of people are walking the narrow way. And so often in people's desires to make that so, what they end up doing in their teaching or in their belief system is that they try to incorporate the broad way into the narrow way. Somehow, some way. And if you do that, then what you find is that you're no longer on the narrow way. But you have joined those on the broad way in that kind of compromise. And so this warning is simply the warning of 1 Corinthians 15.33. Beware of the currents that are out there. The currents that will sweep you away toward destruction. As I mentioned to you last night, this is a matter of truth versus lies. Who, who's the father of lies? Well, it's the devil, according to John chapter 8 and verse 44. And no lies of the truth. John said that earlier in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 21. And so we need to be careful to the voices that are influencing us, that shape our convictions, our beliefs, and thus shape our practices. Be careful. The currents are strong. Have you ever been in a river of rushing water? You've heard of people who have been swept away by the currents. And so this illustration is very real. And thus Jesus warns, after he speaks, the parable of the sower. In Luke's narrative of that, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 18, he says, take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. There are people, as we talked about when God's people go wrong last night, who believe that they have, but they have not. And they think they have. You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. He said, but you don't have that. Because you've missed the point. You've missed the boat, spiritually. And so Jesus says, which soil are you? You need to take special care in your approach to the message that you believe and embrace. Well, you know where we are in the parable of the sower and the soils, right? Uh, I'm number four. I, I want to be number four. That's a good soil that produces the fruit of the kingdom, some 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I'm number four, the good and honest heart. Well, I hope you are, and I hope I am. But sometimes I get a little bit concerned about soil number three, the thorny soil. Cares and riches and concerns of this life can choke out the word so that it becomes unfruitful. Yeah, but there was that time that I obeyed the gospel back in 1975, and so I was the good and honest heart. And that may well be so. But as we've been studying about King Asa and so many others like him, what was once good, faithful, honest soil can become corrupt. One can revert to a different kind of soil. 
over time. And that's why you need to take care. You might want to underline those words in Luke chapter 8 and verse 18. Take care how you hear. Take care what you hear. And be on your guard, Jesus says in Luke 21. Be on your guard. So, I want to caution you, before we look further at the context of 1 Corinthians 15, to be careful in regard to the sources of information to which you listen. I grew up in a world where people generally told the truth. I lived in a community of a lot of good people. Over time, I have encountered more evil people than I used to. And that's really hard, I think, for us to wrap our minds around. Because there was a time, and I believe I mentioned this earlier, where everybody used to play fair, it seems. Where everybody was on the up and up. They were honest. You could take them at their word. It just seems to me that there are more, fewer folks that are like that these days. And that's sad. But you know, we really shouldn't be surprised. If you read much in the Psalms, you will discover that David dealt with a lot of evil people. And not just David, Asaph in Psalm 73. It was the wicked that, that vexed his soul. We shouldn't be surprised that there are people like this in the world. That it's all about them, as we saw on Sunday night. Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. And that they will use and manipulate whoever and whatever to get to their desired end. And they may act like they really care about you. But they don't. You know, I was always warned about religious lies when I was younger. And that sort of operates under the same kind of premises. And there are warnings about that all throughout the New Testament. People come and who present themselves as truth speakers who actually care about your souls. But what they're peddling is a message that brings about destruction if you follow it. And it's not really about you, it's about their own desires. What they want sexually, monetarily, or in terms of their own pride and ego. They want to be somebody. Whatever their motives are, it is not about saving people. It is about themselves. And so these days, there are a lot of folks who paint a picture of the world the way they want you to see it rather than the way that it is. Lies pour forth about everything imaginable. The earth is flat again, you know. Can, can you believe we're back to that again? And if there's somebody in this audience that says, I, I believe in a flat earth, well, uh, maybe we need to have a discussion in the foyer after this is over. But I, I didn't think we'd ever have people who are flat earthers anymore but but for some reason we're back to that there's 
uh, been some conspiracy as in regard to this spherical Earth view, and and so really the Earth is flat. I, I you know I'm surprised, but people are holding that view again. And I got to tell you, I've been a little frustrated over the last year and a half when. When people say, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and they get everybody worked up, and it doesn't happen. Sometimes things only happen when they happen. Have you ever noticed that? Not what people say is going to happen. So much of what is told is sensational. We know that's true. It's designed to evoke a response, mostly anxiety and panic. Now, I was always told, as I mentioned, about religious lies like the purveyors of evolution. Now, if there are people promoting those kinds of lies, then we shouldn't be surprised that they're promoting every kind of lie in our world. News sources that we thought we could trust, now I'm questioning whether we can trust those sources anymore. Now, those who purvey thoughts on evolution, they do that because they are intellectually inferior folks, right? No, they, they may be smarter than me as the world measures it. They may have initials behind their names. I, I have initials. I have AA behind my name. I have an Associate of Arts degree. That's big. I got my two-year degree at Florida College. That's, that's huge. I am educated. I mean, these people, they, they've got Ph.D. behind their name. And, you know, if we took the same test, they, they might get a better score than me. But I'm here to tell you who the smartest people in the world really are. It's not necessarily the one whose brain operates at the highest level. It's the one who acknowledges what's real in the world and in the spirit realm. The smartest people in the world acknowledge the Creator and that the Bible is His Word. Those are the wisest, smartest people that you'll find. So these people who embrace evolution are not necessarily dumb or intellectually inferior. Some of you know about mine and Della's situation. We have to go back and forth from Houston to Tampa quite a bit. She has a son who's 18 and a half years old and a mother who's 88 needs us to look in on him. And so we stay in a condo that is rented in Tampa when we're there. And there's beautiful grounds uh, in that condominium complex, and it has a big lake, and we'll walk around the lake, and, and just palm trees and things like that. It's really a pleasant walk. And I started noticing these creatures. Watch it. Now, I moved to Texas. Some of people were asking me how long ago it was. It was 1987. And I'll tell you how I feel about that. I got here as quick as I could. Having grown up in Indiana, I've lived more than half of my life as a Texan now. And yet some locals, some who've been there, here their whole lives, says that still doesn't make me a Texan. 
you got to be born here. Well, I can talk more about that. Uh, it's a little unfair because somebody in their history moved to Texas, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so they were just fortunate enough to be born here and to be native Texan. But I got to tell you about moving to Texas. Moving here, I have no regrets. That went over well. That's an egret. And so I'm watching, I'm watching these creatures. You know what the evolutionist says? The evolutionist says, I'm kin to that bird. I'm kin to that bird. You know, there's some people that it might be said about them that they have bird legs. You ever heard that expression? Well, I've known some people that you might say that about, that they had, and if, and if anybody's ever said that about you, I don't mean to cause insult to your emotional injury over that, but, but, but if anybody said that about you, I want to tell you, your legs didn't look like that. And you know what's amazing about those things? They can sleep standing up. Can you sleep standing up? I can't. And you know, sometimes they can sleep on one leg. There's a, a night, they're like, they're sleeping on one leg. You try that at home. And yet somehow we have some common ancestry way back when. Is there something that's sort of half-feathered or, or has a little bit larger legs, some transitional creature between the egret and me? You mean out of this primordial soup, that all started, I guess, in liquid or creatures that lived underwater. Somehow those creatures changed and were able to live out of the water. And then they couldn't go back into the water because I don't know, but I can't breathe underwater for hours on end. I don't think you, can you do that? That'd be a feat to talk about tonight. So we somehow came out of the water to live on land, and now we can't go back into the water, and, and we just don't look like a lot of the other creatures in our world. Maybe that's because, as the Bible says, God made kinds of creatures. And I'm, I'm not like this kind right here. And even if somehow you believe all of that about the primordial soup and everything came from the same cells there at the very beginning, the question is, where'd the soup come from? might want to think about that. These material things that gave rise to life, where did that come from? Was it eternal in nature? And so I'll tell you what happens with some really smart people who might have an IQ greater than mine is some incredibly poor leaps of logic have resulted somewhere and part of it is that they have decided that God is not a part of the equation. And that's how you get all the supernatural realm is excluded. And so that's how you have to have all of these millions of years. And these people who don't want to answer to a supernatural power, to an intelligent creator, who want to rule their own world and universe, will teach in our universities that there is no such thing as a creator. And they try to influence and sway, and they have hundreds of thousands of people to their destruction. 
And so some questions we need to ask about the information we're hearing is what is the theological point of view from which they come? Have they ruled out the possibility of a creator in arriving at their conclusions? Is there some bias that affects their understanding? And we need to be careful because a lot of us bring some kind of bias to the table in whatever discussions that we have. Let's be careful in regard to our honesty about the information that we're dispensing. And so we need to ask a question about their theology. We need to ask questions about their view of faith. Is the information that I'm getting from someone about what is right or best in this given circumstance, are they thinking about spiritual wellness? Or are they merely thinking about physical wellness? And those two things may not coincide, as we'll see tomorrow night. Well, certainly we can trust information that comes from believers. Well, it's probably a more reliable source of information generally, but sometimes even believers can be a poor source of information. Have you ever known uh, two young people who both grew up among the Lord's people who were supposed to be a good influence on one another, at least that's what the parents thought, and one of them got the other one, or they both decided together to get in trouble? <laughs> and then what about the occasion in Jesus' ministry when Peter says, Not so, Lord! And Jesus has to say to Peter, you're being used by the evil one. Get behind me, Satan. Peter wasn't a bad man. We know how it turns out for Peter. Peter was a leader among the Lord's people, but on that particular occasion, he was being used by the devil as a roadblock for Jesus. He has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. So even believers are not always a reliable source. And I think we have to ask questions like this about what we hear. The information that comes to us is, what's the agenda? Perhaps there's something that's motivating these people to present this picture in a certain way. I was considering some information uh, very early this morning, and I was talking to Della about it this afternoon. I'm saying, okay, am I looking at this information correctly? And, and if this information is reliable what kind of conclusions should we draw about the information? And one of the things that we decided is that there are more factors that have a bearing on the information that was presented that could affect the decisions that we make. There are other things involved than what was presented in this particular article. And so you have to consider what is the agenda, if we can know it, behind the information that we're being given. Now, Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. What's going on in that context? We often use 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals, to discourage young people from engaging in immoral behavior. You know, they're going to get you to, to drink, to engage in lascivious dance, or whatever the moral topic is. And there is a moral element in this context, as we'll get to in a moment. But what, what's really going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? The context of 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection. What people believe about life after this one. And what happens. And to deny the resurrection 
of the dead was to deny the very work of Jesus and Christ's resurrection from the dead. And if you deny the resurrection, that there is something beyond this, that there is a spiritual realm that awaits us, if you deny the resurrection, yes, there will be moral consequences to that belief system. Be careful who and what you listen to is what Paul is getting at. He says, if there is no resurrection, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If you're going to say that there's not a resurrection, that we have nothing to hold on to beyond this life, and again, that's tomorrow night's lesson, then, again, what are we doing here tonight? Go home and watch television. There's some good basketball games on tonight. You know, go do something else because there's nothing. When this life is over, it's over. You're like Rover. You're dead all over. That's it. And so you might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And then he says, did I fight wild beasts at Ephesus? For what? If there is no resurrection. Now, we're not told anything really about that when we read about Paul being in Ephesus in the book of Acts. But man, I'd like to know more about that. Paul fighting with wild beasts and surviving it? When he was Ephesus, you, you sign me up for some of that? That sounds like fun. You know, what, I know a young man who is a, one of those UFC fighters. Why would anyone want to do that? Get kicked in the head by someone. You know, I, he, he likes it. He does it. That's one thing. But getting in a ring with a wild animal? A lion or a tiger or something like that? Sign me up. I'm going to let Drew go first. You know, I, that, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Why would I do that? If I did not believe in Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. So what we learn about bad company corrupts good morals in this context are three things that I want to share with you very briefly. Number one, wrong thinking leads to poor behavior choices. And that's why I talked about truth last night and wanting to know truth. Whatever the subject is, whatever the matter is, I want to know truth because truth affects choices. What you believe affects what you do. And that's one thing we learn here. Another thing we need to learn about evil companions is that we need to cultivate convictions that withstand pressures. We learned that from Jesus last night when I talked about his approval rating with men. And so when everyone's turning against you, Jesus knows that he is teaching truth, that he is the essence of truth, he is the very word of God. And so he stays convicted regardless of the response of men. And sometimes the view we hold is not a majority position. It's not the majority view. It's a minority view. After all, we're on the narrow way that leads to life. And so we need to teach our young people this, that there is a current out there. The majority view is often sweeping you down the river. And we need to develop courage of conviction. So that we can withstand the pressures that be in the world. And then I think another thing that we see 
with the statement, bad company corrupts good morals, is that because that is so, people are influenced. And we often approach this from the standpoint of don't allow evil to influence you. Because many are swayed. Don't be deceived. But let's think about it from the other extreme. If it's the case that someone can influence me, then perhaps I need to see myself as one who influences others in the proper direction. In the direction of righteousness. I can say things and do things that influences people for good. Instead of you being the one swayed, you be the swayer. Swayer, not swayee, in regard to the things of God. Let me give you a biblical example from Psalm 106. Psalm 106, people who are swept away by the currents. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices. You see, bad company corrupts good morals. And before you know it, they were serving idols. That became a snare to them. The wise writer of the Psalms is chronicling Israel's history here. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. Wow, how could they be convinced of that? They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. How does God feel about that? Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Again, when God's people go wrong. And in the preparation of this lesson, I found a couple of nuggets from Psalm 119, that psalm that speaks so much about the value and benefit and the sweetness of the word of God. And there are two passages about peers that I noticed. I am a friend, I am a companion of all who fear you and to all who follow your precepts. Those are good peers to have. Those who fear God and who are intent on following his precepts. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me. I mean, some people might be glad to see see me go, but uh, hopefully people will rejoice to see me. For I have put my hope in your word because I wait for your word. And then the classic example of listening to the wrong voices takes me back to Numbers 13 and 14. Don't you think about this story with me? As we think about the influences that come to bear in our lives. Remember this story in Numbers 13? Send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one of them a chief among them. I want you to send the best of the best to spy out the land. Remember the promises God gave them? Remember how he fed them in the wilderness? He led them by a cloud. During the day, he led them by a pillar of fire at night. Wouldn't that be cool? To walk out, to see the darkness of the sky and see a pillar of fire and it would lead the nation through the wilderness. 
They would eat manna from heaven, drink water from rocks, and they get to the edge of the promised land. They've seen the ten plagues upon Egypt. They get to the edge of the promised land and say, okay, now guys, go in and do the reconnaissance mission. Go in there and check out things so we can see what's before us here. See that it's an exceedingly good land, as God has promised. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they go in. The best of the best. One from each tribe. Extra credit. How many of their names do you know? You know all 12. Anybody know all 12? I don't either. I can name one or two. Can you? I bet they were right off the tongue. Joshua and Caleb. You got those. You got any others? Any others? I remember one. Palti. And I don't know. It's, it, it just sounds like a very little Palti. You know, but I, I remember his name, and I don't know why. It sticks out. I, I don't know any of the other nine. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? We don't remember their names. And what does it matter? Because they were faithless. Caleb says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And the faithless ten said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. We're just, we're just grasshoppers. Well, if you're going to rule out the spirit realm, yeah, it looks like a mismatch. That's sort of like what we were studying in regard to that Ethiopian army on Monday. That's right. But Joshua and Caleb, they get it. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And so the people said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, let's go. That's not what happened. They listened to the wrong voices. And they paid a very steep price. You know, 40 years later, or at least at the end of that 40-year period, however much time, 38 and a half years, however long it was, 40 years total, when they come back to the edge of the land, and they're about to do this right this time. We've been studying that, back home on Sunday nights, the book of Joshua, and something struck me. Of all those people, some have estimated two million, I, th I think that's a little high, but uh, how many people were of the nation of Israel as they came up to the edge of the promised land? He said, everybody 20 years old and upward is going to die. Do you think somebody might have slipped through the cracks who was 25 who was 30 35 slipped through the cracks didn't die think about that didn't happen not a single one every last one of that generation 20 years old and upward died save Joshua and Caleb God knows you he knows me. And nobody slips through the cracks. 
So the moral of this story is that this is not a young people's verse. It's an every person's verse. And there are a host of diversions that intend to lead us to eternal destruction, but we must stay the course so that we can receive his awesome, well done, and eternal life. Don't listen to the voices that would dissuade you from embracing the saving truth of God's word. Won't you come, if you have not done so, to embrace the provisions of salvation that are offered in this book by our magnificent God. He wants to bless you. He wants to forgive you. If you need to respond, come now as we stand and sing.